Welcome to the Great Loop Radio podcast, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. I'm Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today, we're continuing our popular series on the story of our loop, where we bring in some of our gold loopers, which is anyone who's completed the route, and they kind of share some of the details of their trip and um, what it was like for them, their boat, what they gained from it. So we will be jumping into that topic today. First, I want to take a moment, as usual, to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes & Associates, Great Loop Yacht Sales, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage you to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And with the business out of the way, I am thrilled to have Bake and Lee Baker with me today. Bake and Lee, thanks for joining me. You bet. It's great to see you, Kim. Thanks. thanks. Yeah, it's, and it's great to have you here, and I can see you're on board. So um, let's just kind of start out. Tell us a little bit about your boat. And, and this is the same boat you looped on, correct? It is. It's a Grand Banks 42, um, uh, 1977. We were really, it's the first boat. Uh, we we bought this boat. We're sailors, but it's specifically the we bought this trawler to do the loop. Mm -hmm. um, it was the first boat we looked at. It had been upgraded. It was a freshwater boat, and um, it had been upgraded tremendously. So we were really fortunate to find it. Yeah, but, oh. covered it. Okay, <laughs> so first book boat that you looked at. Um, most likely, I'm guessing then you had done a lot of homework beforehand to try and figure out what you might want. Yeah, we had a, we actually we had attended uh, one of the uh, trawler fests in Baltimore uh, mm -hmm. before we started the trip. That was really helpful. Went to some of the boat buying classes, uh, and then we walked up and down the dock, you know, looking at all the boats, and then had done a bunch of research. And then we had a, a friend who had done a lot of boating in the Great Lakes and had provided us with some insights, some tips, and so on. So, yeah, so we had a pretty good sense of it. And uh, thought that we wanted probably a walk around uh, deck arrangement like a Grand Banks. Um, and certainly we're looking for an older boat um, just from a price point of view. And um, had called a broker uh, in the Green Bay, Sturgeon Bay area. And he had interviewed us on kind of by phone and online and said, you know, I think I have a couple of boats. Come on over and look at them. And as Lee said, this was. This is the very first, we looked at other boats, but this is the very first one that we actually looked at. Yeah. And it was in great shape and uh, served us really well. Yeah. So for, for those who are still looking for their Grape Loop boat and might be thinking a Grand, Grand Banks 42 sounds like a possibility, give us a little bit of the specs, you know, how many heads, how many berths, uh, engines, that kind of thing. Sure. So it's a, it's a, a forward cabin uh, v-berth with a head and a small shower and aft cabin with a, a for our in our situation kind of a three-quarter and a and a single on either side in the aft with a, um, a head and a small shower again uh, with a pretty good sized salon in between with a kitchen uh, kind of a u-shaped settee and then a, a um, lower helm um, and it uh, we have uh 220 horsepower Ford Laymans, old reliable engines. I don't know when they were actually designed, but they're um, not the cleanest engines in the world, but they certainly are reliable. I think yeah. we've got pushing 4,000 4, hours on them. And I, I, we did have the heads rebuilt, but they're just keep going strong and steady. Um, we have about a 
almost a thousand mile range with our fuel, a diesel fuel. Um, we've got uh, about, oh, I don't know, 180 gallons of water, 90 gallon um, holding tank. So we have a pretty long kind of range and quite um, self-sufficient. And then we have a flybridge up, fly bridge oh, up top mm -hmm. with all the same nav equipment up there, um, tons of space. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So a uh, question then about having the lower helm and the upper helm. I'm sure you know what this is going to be. How often do you drive from the lower helm? Um, with the weather's cold uh, and rainy, uh, <laughs> we're at the lower helm. But otherwise, we've uh, found that we really like the upper helm. It's quieter. Uh, visibility is better. Um, and if the weather's warm at all, it's uh, obviously cooler. Uh, we've got eyes and glass enclosure, but we can open all that up and really allows a lot of um, comfortable fresh air. Yeah. So you also mentioned that the previous owner did a lot of upgrades. What were some of the things uh, that were upgraded before you bought her? Well, I love the galley arrangement. Um, they put in uh, fancy Korean countertops. Um, they have the, the dual refrigerator drawers and then dual uh, freezer drawers. I have more freezer space on this boat than I do at home. Wow. I love them. That's big. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're amazing, which is great because for the, for the loop, we were looping during COVID, um, which was great for us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we didn't have to, we didn't have to stop and replenish. We didn't have to do grocery shopping and reprovisioning with the space we have in the freezers and the refrigerators. Um, they upgraded the stove. Um, you, you know, Up anyway. Upgraded, um, electrical, you know, new inverter, mm -hmm. new uh, electrical control panels, uh, new uh, uh, captain's seat on the lower helm. It's just yeah. great. Yeah, nice. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it's great that somebody else uh, worried about all of those things. Right. A lot of the Grand Banks um, have a lot of teak work, uh, teak yeah. and a lot of bright work. Um, does your boat have that? And yes. how hard is it to maintain that? Um, well, I've gotten pretty good at it. <laughs> um uh it it takes some patience and i you know i kind of like putzing around boats and uh so it's it's fine um but it takes a fair amount of work we, we did get uh canvas uh covers made for all the rails so when we mm -hmm. were in warmer climates uh we would keep the rails covered and that certainly made a difference um we found that the sun in the southern you know, Florida and so on just burns through the, the varnish like crazy and keeping those covers on made a big difference. Yeah. Uh, but it, yeah. I don't know, it was just sort of, I don't know, kind of got into the swing of it was just part of, part of being on the boat and looking after stuff. He's yeah. done a really good job. I mean, the, he just finished uh, redoing the upper rails and, um, and they are, they're perfect. <laughs> they look great. <laughs> they really do. We get a lot of, when we come into a marina, we get a lot of compliments. He yeah. gets a lot of compliments. It's a little bit like driving an old Woody station wagon. Everybody <laughs> wants to have a I mean, it's a fiberglass boat, but everyone wants to have a conversation about the, oh, you know, the style of the boat, the wood trim, yeah. all those things. Yeah. yeah. So adds so much character and so much beauty to a boat, but uh, certainly a labor of love to maintain all of that. So kudos yes. to you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's kind of shift and talk a little bit about the Great Loop itself. Um, you mentioned mm -hmm. you were sailors. What made you decide to take on the Great Loop? You want to do that one? Well, I just, I had read about it in a magazine and mm -hmm. before I retired and I just thought, God, that sounds like a great bucket list item um, and a great way to 
see that part of the country, which I was not particularly familiar with that, you know, kind of the deep south and the east southeast coast. And um, so it just kind of kept noodling on it and kind of kept jotting it down as an idea of something we might eventually want to do. And uh, um, and and as I was approaching retirement, we thought, well, let's let's go to this trawler fest, find out more about it. So it just the kind of the more we learned, the more the deeper the hook was set. Um, <laughs> And just said, sounds like a great thing to do. Let's let's keep exploring it. Trawler Fest was great. I learned a ton, um, and I think what maybe the the what really tipped the scales for me was the women's roundtable at Trawler Fest. Um, just hearing the stories, and I thought, oh yeah, I'm all in on this. This is really <laughs> an exciting thing to do. So, excellent. Well, and and for those of you who are. Uh, inspired by Bacon Lee to look into a trawler fest. There's one coming up in September in Baltimore, I believe. Um, and I will be presenting there about the Great Loop. So hopefully I'll see some of I'll you there. Um, so where had most of your sailing taken place? Um, let's see, certainly Lake Superior. Um, mm -hmm. had, I'd sailed on a younger, had crewed on some Trans Superior sailboat races. Um, done some racing around uh, the the Apostle Islands, um, done some sailing, uh, racing out in uh, San Francisco Bay Area when I was working out there, um, and then uh, sailing and racing around Minneapolis-St. Paul, where there's a fairly yeah. active one-design fleets of J-22s and scows and things like that. So that was most of our boating experience, although I did, when I was in college, I worked as a deckhand on a ferry boat and uh, uh, did get my pilot's license, so the I spent one one summer operating a, a pretty good size, like a ninety ton ferry boat. So had some uh, big boat, big power boat experience, although it was not quite fifty years fifty years ago. So it was a little rusty as we started. Yeah, and Lee, I had, how about you? Yeah, I had um, I learned how to sail in high school in the Chesapeake Bay, and and also raced out there. And then Bake and I raced in the Twin Cities and up up here in the Apostle Islands. So, so obviously a lot yeah. of boating experience, which certainly helps, even even yeah. if you're doing the loop on a yeah. motorboat. What made you decide to go to a trawler um, instead of actually taking the sa a sailboat on the loop? You know, uh, I, the reading I'd done um, was just it just sounded frankly, and I, and I don't want to discourage anybody. Just sounded like a little bit of a, a lot of monkey business putting ma the mast up, shipping it mass down up down also a little bit of concern about depth mm -hmm. water depth um mm -hmm. with a deep keel and i know there are plenty right. of sailboats that do it but um we certainly also saw a few sailboats aground during the great loop i you know have to be i think really if you have a deep keel boat you have to be very attentive i think to the water depths um certainly on the rivers um and uh, in the intercoastal waterway anyway it it just the reading i did it sounded like the uh for many sailboaters, there's an awful lot of motoring anyway, mm -hmm. and uh, for us, it it, it um, the, the powerboat proved to be, I think, a good fit for us. Yeah. How did that transition go? Because a lot of sailors, you know, don't really love the idea of, of converting to a powerboat. So a trawler, yeah. at least, it's not as big of a leap. Um, yeah. But but kind of, you know, tell us how that transition went. How did you how did mm -hmm. you take to being, you know? The only source of power is the engine instead of using some wind. Yeah. Well, let's see. Um, from a just from a kind of a uh, attention point of view, learned to pay a lot more attention to the engines than who did in a <laughs> sailboat. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, actually, it was very fortunate. We had, you know, we had a little bit of kind of uh, work done on the boat prior to us starting the loop. I mentioned rebuilding the heads, engine mounts, stuff like that. And uh, the mechanics we had doing the work uh, were very gracious. And I just hovered around them the whole time, asking mm-hmm. them dumb questions, kind of crawling around the engine room and learned a lot about just, I, I couldn't, couldn't fix anything, but at least about maintenance and troubleshooting and what to watch for. And that made a big difference. It just increased my confidence level. And I did at the Trawler Fest take, I think there was a, it's a two-day diesel repair class yeah. uh, that uh, uh, Nigel um, Calder teaches. Mm-hmm. And yes. I, did, I took that. So I increased my confidence level a little bit. Um, but also uh, this boat only goes about I don't know, eight, nine, 10 miles an hour. So it's mm-hmm. not, it's just, it's not going to go any faster than that. So it's kind of life at a slow speed. Um, and the, the style of the boat to your, I think what you were alluding to a minute ago, um, we, we see, I we talk to a lot of people in trawlers who are former sailors. Mm-hmm. There's some, there's some kind of an affinity. I don't know if it's because the boat, the way the boats look, the way they handle, I'm not sure. But anyway, it, it didn't feel like a big jump, big jump. Yeah, no, I agree. And I'm, I, you probably have more insight than I do on what the reason that a lot of sailors pick trawlers as opposed to a motor yeah. yacht or something. Um, uh, but yeah, that, it, that does seem to be pretty common. Uh, so yeah, I love that you said that you um, had some work done and kind of tagged along, so to speak, with the uh, mechanics who were doing the work on the boat, because that's one of the things that I think causes some extra stress for people when they don't do something like that. If they just buy the boat, and go even if they've mm-hmm. had boating experience uh it takes some time to get used to the boat and and how all of the different systems operate and there is it is great to have some local mechanics that you can uh absorb yeah. some of the knowledge from but yeah. also that's somebody who also knows your boat and once you leave for the loop and out you're outside your home area it's somebody that if you've built a good relationship with them you can call on them they know your boat now yeah. Um, and can probably guide you in some of the troubleshooting. So I, I love yeah. that you did that. And I wish, I wish all loopers <laughs> would yeah. do that, even if they have a lot of experience. Uh, let's um, take a quick, so go ahead. I, I, I was just yeah. say one other thing. The previous owner had saved all of the instruction manuals, documents mm-hmm. and so on. And, and when we bought the boat, there were like four or five, three or four, three ring binders with all that information. So the, the winter we bought the boat, I took it home and read all that stuff through the winter. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't remember it all, but at least I knew where to find stuff. So if I was ha- having, if I was puzzled over something with the inverter or the air conditioning, I knew exactly where to go look it up and find it and kind of troubleshoot stuff. Yeah. And that made a huge difference. And again, kind of increased um, our confidence level, I think. Yeah. How long went by between the time that you purchased the boat and the time that you actually left for the loop? We closed uh, like uh, I think like January first, and then we spent we brought the boat up to um, the western part of Lake Superior in the Apostle Islands, and spent that summer just becoming familiar with the boat. And then we left Western Lake Superior on September nineteenth, mm-hmm. um, twenty nineteen, and started started from here. So we had a summer to just really get used to the boat and learn how to dock, you know, docking and anchoring and all that kind of thing, just becoming really familiar with the maintenance and so forth. Wonderful. Let's take a quick break and play a message from a sponsor. Um, When we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about um, kind of your style of looping, meaning, you know, uh, you've already mentioned that it's a slower boat, but I want to talk about 
um, you know, how often you did marinas versus anchorages, how many miles per day you would typically travel. Um, and we'll also talk about looping during COVID because you mentioned that and, and leaving in September of 2019 means you were probably, you know, somewhere around Florida when things started to shut down. So uh, we'll jump into that when we come back. Good morning, loopers. Many of you are probably already cruising in southeastern waters, and that is where the Salty Southeast Cruises Net focuses all of its efforts to help you enjoy your time on the water. So as you prepare for the next leg of your journey and as your resource for accurate, timely, and useful information, we want to invite you to use and add your knowledge to the wealth of information that's available through the Cruises Net in its directories for marinas, bridges, and anchorages, as well as the latest fuel prices in your area. Our mission of Cruisers Helping Cruisers, may we invite you to help those following in your wake by sharing with us your cruising experiences. Thank you. Have a great day. Did you know that every mile of the Great Loop is covered by both the Waterway Guide and Skipper Bob? Use them to plan your Great Loop cruise and learn about the places you can visit. In the cockpit, important navigation info is always ready at your side, plus marina listings, anchorages, services, and so much more. Each Skipper Bob and Waterway Guide is updated yearly, and waterwayguide.com and skipperbob.net keep you current with navigation alerts, cruising news, fuel prices, and special deals. With the Waterway Guide and Skipper Bob at the helm, you'll always be on course. Order yours today at the AGLCA ship store at greatloop.org. Waterway Guide and Skipper Bob are proud sponsors at the Admiral level with AGLCA. We're back on Great Loop Radio. My guests today are Lee and Bake Baker, and they are sharing the story of their Great Loop. And we just kind of touched on that they are some of our COVID loopers, um, which, you know, for some loopers, that was a great time to be looping. It's a great way to isolate. Um, and others found that, you know, as things closed down, it was a little bit of a different experience. So, you know, you mentioned you left um, Lake Superior in September of 2019. Um, so March of 2020 or so is when things started to close down. Where were you and, and what was your initial reaction to this idea that the world is suddenly changing? I think, uh, well, we have we have uh, two grown sons. They, they were certainly affected by COVID with uh, graduate school and uh, college. Uh, their lives were definitely interrupted uh, for us. We found it amazingly helpful because we had the museums all to ourselves. Um, we, you know, social distancing on docks in marinas, things like that. So we really feel we felt incredibly fortunate. We feel like we really kind of missed COVID in a way. Um, and uh, marinas were maybe were less crowded. I thought it was great to be have that independence and be moving around the country uh, at that time. We were a little concerned before we started to get our shots. I don't want to get into the politics of it all, but anyway, we mm -hmm. wanted to get COVID shots, and uh, <clears throat> we there there was an opening, we uh, in uh, Minnesota, and so we flew crazy, but we flew home to get our first shots, and then flew back, um, and uh, um, and continued to travel. And you know, we knew we were going to have to go go to a grocery store someplace, whether we were living right. at home or on the boat. So mm -hmm. we tried to limit it to every couple of weeks. And um, the scariest part sometimes we're going to these big, um, you know, chain grocery stores um, in the south, 
where nobody was wearing a mask mm-hmm. and and you kind of weren't sure you know there wasn't enough information yet about how the stuff traveled and transmission and all that kind of stuff there are kind of moments when it's kind of like oh boy but anyway it all worked out yeah. and um um uh we were as lee said we were able to travel um and often we're some of the only people in museums um there you know everybody had transitioned outdoor restaurants we were able to sit outside and eat um it actually all worked out pretty well we were were very fortunate yeah yeah very fortunate i'm glad i'm glad i wasn't trying to you know uh you know work with a bunch of uh you know children in grade school (laughs) (laughs) i mean i just that would have been we we were very fortunate you know given our circumstances yeah i think and I'm, i'm trying to remember i think we were um when COVID hit we were basically um, from like Seneca, Illinois, and then we were in Fort Myers, Florida when we first got our, when we first got vaccinated. So that was mm-hmm. our stretch of, of being, you know, traveling during the height of COVID. Yeah. yeah. So when did you cross your wake? Um, August 9th of 2022. So just about a year ago last summer. So, okay. We did this very slowly and, yeah. mm-hmm. and in increments. Um, traveled, maybe we mentioned this earlier, but probably traveled two to three months, and then we go home for a while, a couple months, leave the boat someplace, and then travel again, and okay. so it, it we spread it out over a three-year period of time. Seven, a total of seven legs over three years. Um, I kept very close track of everything, and uh, I do a lot of writing. Anyway, so I kept a journal. We traveled 7,661 miles altogether over three years. Wow. So uh, what side trips did you do as part of that? So we went up the Cumberland, uh, up to Nashville, and then back. Um, we went up the Tennessee to um, all the way up to Knoxville, and then back. Um, and then when we hit, uh, and then after we, on Lake Champlain, we went up uh, into Montreal and Ottawa and, um, and you know, up through Canada. So those were our... Yeah. Yeah. And I guess taking the breaks to go home was also somewhat of an advantage because by the time you were ready to head to Canada, the border was back open. <laughs> yeah. So, exactly. Yeah. That also worked pretty well. But good. Yeah. But lucky. Yeah. But yeah. yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. So tell us about a little bit about the logistics of that, because we do have a lot of people who are interested in doing the loop in, in kind of segments. You know, mm-hmm. how hard was it to find a place that you felt comfortable leaving the boat for an extended period of time? Um, and did you have a, a, a set amount of time you were looking to travel at a time? Uh, you know, was were you kind of like every two months or tell us how that worked? You know, it, it's interesting. I had <clears throat> when we started the loop, um, I was still working um, part time and um uh, and then when COVID hit, everybody was on Zoom. I thought mm-hmm. I was going to have to travel back and forth to home quite a bit off, more often than I did. And all I needed to do was put on a clean shirt and uh, <laughs> dim my back or blur my background. And knew, no one knew where I was calling in from anyway. So mm-hmm. it suddenly gave us a lot more flexibility. But we didn't really have a set uh, time frame. It was more just a, a place, finding a place that... Um, you know, uh, we where we felt like we could leave the boat safely. And, mm-hmm. you know, some of the guidebooks rec- had recommendations, some of the marina operators, some of the other loopers, you know, said, you know, leave, you can leave your boat X, Y, Z, not there, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so it all, um, it, it, but it ended up being two to three months each time uh, when we were traveling and usually two to three months when we left the boat someplace. Mm-hmm. Um, and generally we had really good luck when we left the boat someplace, it often would come back covered with spiders, but that was about the, that was welcome about to the, the rivers. <laughs> yeah, that was about the only issue. Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah, people were incredibly um, yeah helpful in giving us recommendations of where to where to you know leave the boat for two and three months at a time. So and we didn't have any trouble ever with making those. We we did call ahead, I don't know, maybe a couple months ahead or a month ahead, and but we just had no trouble with with marina recommendations or reservations at all. And we would often just rent a one way car, you know, from mm -hmm. uh, home or where we and tra travel that way. Uh, so we could kind of drag some stuff with us, either home right. or back to the boat. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that seemed to work pretty well, um, particularly, again, during peak of COVID when there was some hesitancy about flying. Um, we could get a rental car and it all it all seemed to work pretty darn well. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, when you were on the boat and cruising, did you tend to tie up at marinas mostly or anchorages mostly or some of both? Some of both. Oh. I'd say maybe a third anchoring and maybe two thirds um, um, marinas, mm -hmm. um, and, uh, certainly the rivers marinas. I may, I know people anchor, we anchored a few times in some kind of interesting situations, mm -hmm. you know, kind of tucking up under a little sandbar and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. generally in the rivers, we were marinas. Um, and then if there were places we w really wanted to visit, um, on land, obviously we would often stay at a marina. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm thinking of, like <clears throat> Demopolis, uh, we, we spent a fair amount of time there. We rented a car and, you know, spent, I think, three or four or five days visiting civil rights sites, as an example. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, go ahead. No, no, that, go ahead. So, looking at the time, we're, we've almost gone through most of a half an hour already, which is kind of the, the benchmark we shoot for. No, that, that's great, because um, you've been sharing lots of great information. But I do want to hit on, I mean, what were some of the, the biggest highlights for you what were some of your favorite parts of the trip whether that's places or um you know more um activities just what were some of the the best things so we have uh collapsible bikes and i think that was one of the reasons that we wanted to be in marinas is so we could go and explore mm -hmm. um when we we were we're both history majors so um so, you know the uh, revolutionary war on the east coast and uh civil war battlefields um uh, civil rights sites down south. Um, one of my favorites was the Muscle Shoals Studio in Florence, Alabama. Mm -hmm. That was that was a highlight for both of us. Um, just, I think it for us, um, it was the experience of looping, seeing the world at eight and nine miles an hour, um, but then also just being really being able to take advantage of places we had never been before and getting into museums and. Um, just wandering around little towns. That was that was just a really an exceptional experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. For me, I'll just highlight a few. We really enjoyed Apalachicola, great little town. That was a ton of fun exploring in the Panhandle. Um, we really enjoyed the Keys, uh, kind of funky but fun. Um, and then coming up the East Coast, um, we had a, just a great uh, approach into New York City. Um, you know, seeing the tops of the towers before you could see the base of the city, you know, on the horizon. Mm -hmm. Coming into New York City uh, was just a hoot. I'll never forget that. Um, and then um, um, I, I think another highlight was just traveling through Canada, yeah. the Redo Canal, oh. uh, just and going through Ottawa, just spectacular, beautiful, beautiful country. Um, and then when we got up uh, Georgian Bay in the North Channel, I think the physical beauty there was just absolutely spectacular. And I, I would encourage anybody to, to, to head 
take that northern route and spend time in Canada. Folks were friendly, great facilities. Um, it was great. Yeah, yeah, it really was. So and, many... and people have asked us what the highlights are, and it's just, it's so hard because every single day was a highlight. It was amazing. Yeah. yeah. So many um, gold loopers tell me that this trip is life-changing. Did it change you? I think it did for me. So one of the things that I loved and I, and I think we both miss right now is we really, we realized that we were a team. Um, you know, we really had really, yeah. no. <laughs> <I don't>, <laughs> we, we, you know, there, I feel like there was marriage enrichment going on mm -hmm. and it was a chance to, um, it just understand more about the the history of our country, the cultures that exist in our in our big country, mm -hmm. um, and it just it challenged my understanding of of what our history is and what our our whole country is based on. Yeah. I don't know, what are your thoughts? I would also say, for me, selfishly, it was just a great transition into retirement. You know, something mm -hmm. to focus on, something to do, something to you know, all the intellectual stimulation, yeah. just was fantastic. Um, yeah. Very, very appreciative of it. And I think ultimately, uh, I think both of us just came away with feeling very, very grateful to be able to do this because yeah. mm -hmm. you know a lot of people can't, and yeah. we just felt incredibly lucky to be able to do this adventure. Yeah. 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 Any uh, final tips for anybody who's kind of in the planning stages and, um, you know, trying to come up with the best time or the best boat or all those details that you think about before you start the loop? What are your best tips for them? I, I, I mean, we took advantage of um, all the AGLCA resources, the Skipper Bob books. I mean, we we did a lot of research and homework, uh, waterway guide um, and I I learned a ton and I felt so much better prepared um, every day and the whole loop. So I would just say, do your work. Mm -hmm. That'd be my recommendation. Um, I was going to be, I, what I was going to say is just, uh, um, there's going to be a lot of uncertainties. It's just kind of the deal. You know, there's a certain <laughs> amount of kind of emotional, psychological agility that's required. Mm -hmm. You know, some of the stuff you can worry about and you can't do anything about it. Stuff happens. And I would just say, go for it. it. You know, you can stew about all this, you know, anticipating all the challenges. And at some point you just, just go, you know, go with it. You'll, your skills will develop as you go. Your confidence will develop as you go, go along. Um, and um, uh, it'll be okay. And you'll be glad you did it. And you'll be glad yeah. you did it. Great advice. I don't think I asked you, and I don't think you mentioned, what is the name of your boat? Surprise. Surprise. And, uh, and for those sailors who are, have read all read all of uh, Patrick O'Brien's uh, Jack Aubrey books, uh, Jack Aubrey was a captain and admiral in a fictional historical fictional series uh, during the Napoleonic Wars in the British Navy, and his favorite ship was the Surprise. I love hearing about people's boat names and how they arrived at them. So that's a great one. Um, and obviously, you know, we can tell from your background there, you are aboard. So where are your travels yeah. taking you this summer? We actually, so after finishing the loop, we decided we really wanted to come back into Lake Superior and use the summer to explore Lake Superior. So we just recently returned from a trip up to Isle Royal um, in uh, Northern uh, Lake Superior. And then we went up into the islands um, in Ontario and then came all along the North Shore to Duluth and then back into the Apostle Islands. So 
Wow. Yeah. Really what fun. A trip. Very, very, yeah. very fun. Yeah. Well, and we Great. actually, we covered that a be. few weeks ago in the podcast um, yeah. and talked about how remote, particularly that northern edge of the lake there is. So yeah. um, must have been a fabulous trip. It was, yeah. and, you know, we pulled in these anchorages, uh, you know, literally nobody there. I mean, mm -hmm. we, there were yeah. days where we didn't see another boat, just yeah. spectacular wow. country, spectacular landscape, um, very non-Midwestern, tall, tall <laughs> hills, mountains, mm -hmm. big, uh, big rock buttresses, yeah. just gorgeous, gorgeous yeah. country. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm hoping with the lock closures on the Illinois waterway uh, this summer and into early fall that uh, some people will take advantage of that extra time and actually head for yeah. Lake Superior for a yeah. bit. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like a great trip and uh, we wish you a lot of fun and safe cruising up there and enjoy thanks. the rest of your summer. Thank you both so much for doing this. We really appreciate you sharing your story. Kim, thanks. Thanks, Kim. thanks for all the support you've given us and yeah. the whole organization. Thank oh, you. It's my pleasure. I love it. And uh, thank you to everybody who's watched or listened today. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio Podcast. Until then, safe cruising. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.